You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Lamb Goat presents the Van Flip Podcast. What's up? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Van Flip Podcast. On this week, we have a special guest, a former employee of said lamb goat. Uh, She also (laughs) has gone on to do greater and bigger things. She's worked with some of the top uh, metalcore, metal artists, and artists in the industry all around. Please welcome Amy Shiretto. Did I even fuck that up? Did I fuck it up? No, you didn't. Okay. That was pretty good. Most people fuck it up, but you did not. Nice. Well, Amy, welcome to the show. I know it's been a long time since you've been around the lamb goat uh, on this side. I know you worked with, you worked lamb goat for, with lamb goat at least for like 20 plus years now. Yeah. I used to do reviews a million years ago of like Haybreed and stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) How did you end up start? how, How did you end up like working with Alex before? I don't remember. I, I was it was when I was working at Roadrunner. I don't know. I think I just was like back and forth, and I think I he had said something about wanting review writers. They posted something, and I was like, "Hey, man, I write for a bunch of I still write for a bunch of outlets like you know Revolver and, and Alternative Press and Guitar World." And I was like, "You know, can I do reviews?" And I think he was like, "Yes." And so I just would write some reviews. Yeah, you had like to write reviews at that time. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like homework now. Trust me, I got people. It uh, is. I don't like writing as much as I used to. It's not as easy as it used to be for me. Yeah, I don't write, but uh, that's one of the things <laughs> that we definitely have brought back since taking over from Alex. Uh, we we did bring, uh, I, we did hire on a couple writers. So reviews are back. We've we've good. We've gotten a bunch of those out in the last six seven months. Uh, I think like forty or fifty of them or something like that. So I like it. If you're writing about our bands, great. Keep doing that as long as I'm not doing the writing. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, how did you get into r- working with Roadrunner, and how did you get into this whole business? And we'll we'll eventually get into uh, obviously Adam Splitter PR, which is your your company, sure. your main company that you run now. So uh, that's fine. I tell this origin story quite a bit. Um, I. I always knew what I wanted to do. I tell people when I was in high school, I knew I wanted to work in music and I was always a good writer. Uh, and I was friends with um, this guy, Rennie, who's still a very good friend of mine, Rennie from the band Starkweather, an amazing death metal band in Philly. Uh, and he's still one of my good friends. Uh, so I think I had, you know, I would go see them and then I would sign up for the mailing list and we would be pen pals. And he helped me start writing because I said I wanted to write about music. And he got me connected with this magazine called All That, which eventually became Chord, and it was a local publication in Philly, uh, monthly or bi-monthly it might have been, so I just started doing reviews and stuff he didn't want to do anymore, Uh, and then it just kind of spiraled. I would write for local publications, Um, uh, this um, Philly monthly publication called Rock Pile, which doesn't exist anymore. You know, if you went to a show, there's a stack of magazines by the door, like the free arts Mm -hmm. and entertainment 
monthly. Uh, it was that, you know, it would be like at all the record stores, which don't exist anymore. And like all the like music related lifestyle shops, tattoo shops and shit like that. Uh, I would always write for all those. And it just spiraled from there. I started writing for this magazine, Juice, which is a skateboarding magazine. Um, uh, and then I interned um, at a local uh, trade publication called FMQB. And it just spiraled from there. I just, um, I, I learned quickly that um, I could get the records early, uh, get, you know, get the music that I was purchasing early and for free, get access to talk to the bands that I love, spend time with them and talk to them about their music that I love and get into the shows for free. So that was like great for me that, you know, I, all through college too, I was like, oh, I don't have to spend money on this, doing the stuff I love doing. Uh, if I just write about it, I'll get it for free. So, I, and I was, writing was very easy for me at the time. Uh, so I just was, uh, I, it just spiraled from there. And then when I graduated, before I even graduated college, you know, I was interviewing at places like CMJ and Concrete Marketing for jobs. So that was like the, is that the like long shorts, <laughs> the, the longer than Reader's yeah. Digest version? Interesting. So you kind of always been attracted to like the counterculture since you were like younger? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I grew up really, um, my oldest brother um, was a big fan of music and uh, loved rock bands like ACDC and Kiss and Van Halen. And he got me into them because he would, I would, you know, I used to spend time with him and I would sit on his lap and listen to records. Yeah. Uh, you know, back in the day on a record player. <laughs> what is that? I mean, phones. I know what it is because I own one now currently, but a right. lot of, a lot of well, people I don't. A lot of, these kids these days, I sound so old, get off my lawn. <laughs> uh, but kids these days have like, they're, they like cassettes, what? Like, cause that's never sounded really good. You that's know? the thing that's like, weird about it. I get the whole physical media part about it. And I mean, uh, honestly, it had been years since I had like held a tape or like a, a new tape or anything like that. Cause mm -hmm. they, they're not, they're not like out and about. Well, they used to not be out and about as prevalently, but you know, I went and I, I looked at one and I think you can hear my dog drinking in the background. So I'm sorry. Oh, mine just, Wilbur just did the same thing. Sorry. <laughs> so sorry listeners. But, um, yeah, so I like found a recent like at a show somewhere someone had a tape and I was like I didn't even like the band really that I that I, that had it but I like looked at it and I remember holding it as a kid so like the nostalgia came back and mm -hmm. then like I was like oh this is cool because it's nostalgic but then I was like this is the worst way to listen to any kind of music possibly that I can think yeah, of it's the like sound quality yeah the sound quality is, so is the rank. worst I can't compare it to eight track but I'm not I'm not sure what's worse between that or eight track yeah I don't know I feel like eight tracks I mean they're I don't even think I could know what that sounds like. They just leave big cartridges. Yeah. But cassette tapes, you know, you used to tape over them. Yeah. Stick piece of tape over that thing on the top and then do, yeah. Burn, uh no. Early burning CDs, like waiting by the radio just in case some yes. song came on so you could catch the very beginning of it and Yeah, cut off, right. Miss parts <laughs> oh God, of it, have yeah. the DJ talking over it. Yeah, up until the first lyric, you know, <laughs> until the first vocal line. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. You said you were getting a lot of that stuff for free and like there were perks to the gig, obviously, when you first started, you know, writing mm -hmm. and, and doing things in the music industry. And that's something that also drew me to it. I mean, I just did it. I started posting news on my crappy website way back in the day when I was a teenager, too. And I started getting like a couple perks here and there. Not so many like show perks and things like that, because mm -hmm. there weren't that many at the time. The bands that I was covering weren't really coming through this area, but like I got like all sorts of CDs and shirts and everything in the mail to where my parents started like freaking out. They're like, what is right. all this coming? And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. It's just free Girl, shit. <laughs> yeah. But it's really interesting. Cause you know, I go through the staff, um, 
the staff page on Lamgoat, and uh, I just go down the line. You know, there's like a hundred people that have worked for it over the last twenty years or something like that, or or whatnot. And you know, you're on there, and a lot of other a lot of other names that I've had to deal with in the last couple of years. Like, am I still years. on there? I mean, in the staff page, you're inactive. Inactive. Yeah, it's inactive yeah, on the back end. So look. it's not visible. So I can only oh, I see it in the back, in the back end. end. Yeah, I see it in the back end because like everything like as far as your reviews that you've done are linked by a number and that's like your staff number oh. and stuff like that. So. Oh, who else is on this back end? Any other? Uh, any other? I'm trying to think. Is there anybody? Anybody? Ryan Downey is uh, Downey, uh, yeah, good Downey's friend of mine. Of course, uh, I was gonna say is Ryan Downey because that's how we always say we met because I used to write about his band Burn It Down uh, like many years ago for those publications that I talk about. I'm like, God, I was a terrible writer back then. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, uh, yeah, he's a, he he was a an employee. I don't know to what extent these employees you know what they did because I wasn't technically there or their employer at that time um, you know I've only been with lamb goat for four years and only in this particular behind the curtains view in the last six months right. so uh, you know right. all this is like kind of new uh, but it, like again interesting interesting that people that either shared time with lamb goat have gone on to do other things within the industry which you know that's something that's really cool and, and you're one of the cooler people that have worked for lamb goat obviously you work with a why uh. <laughs> yeah you work with a lot of bands not only a lot of bands but some heavy hitters in like the metalcore world especially like the roadrunner world and stuff like that um yeah. so how do we how do you get into like you go from writing to being a publicist like what's the big difference between you know writing for an outlet and then being a publicist for a band uh well for me it was you know i just always liked writing um and when i got the job at roadrunner i had transitioned from the job at cmj but i worked in the roadrunner radio department um first which was basically it's the same thing it's doing publicity for i don't mean um, to interrupt but is that in philly or is that in new york because i know that that was in new york roadrunner okay. was in new york yeah i grew up right outside of philly but um when i graduated college i moved to right outside of manhattan which is where i still live um and um when i took the job at roadrunner um it was in the radio department so i i worked with all radio stations um in, in the country uh whether it was commercial that had like a you know five nights a week metal show or two hours on a friday night or a sunday or uh, any kind of hard rock and metal programming and I also did video promo which was like you know anything from MTV to VH1 to those you know Friday night video type shows you right. know in you know 120 minutes Headbangers Ball yeah all, everything but even also like the mom and pop ones um, you know like the ones that like, were real, like you know Wayne's World type um, you know <laughs> yeah. I did everything you know I worked with all the bands like Nickelback and, and all the even the commercial side of things uh, doing radio promo and vi I mean video promo and then radio promo for the hard rock metal bands um, and then a couple years six years into the job you know it's a job that had a shelf life you know you either moved on in the radio department you know to be a regional um, you know and they had sh my boss retired and they shifted some things and they moved me into the press department which was just doing the same thing except to press outlets uh, media outlets and I was the same thing promoting the artist just you know in a different way not on the radio stations but in print and online t you know tv all those kind of publications 
And it was an easy transition for me because I was a writer and I was already either writing for these outlets or new people because I had relationships with those outlets already. So it was an easy transition. Hey, what's up? It's Lurk. Looks like you're enjoying the podcast. If you are and you like what we're doing here on the Van Flip, why don't you go ahead and pause this, give us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to. If you want to find out any information on your favorite bands from the hardcore and metal scene, visit lambgoat.com. And to stay in the loop about everything that we post on lambgoat.com, make sure you like us on Facebook and you head over to Twitter and Instagram and follow us at lambgoat. Are you a full-grown adult and you also have a TikTok account? Congrats. Follow us on TikTok as well. You can find us under the username lambgoat.com. That's spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M. Head over to our YouTube channel where we have all of these podcasts in video format plus a lot more content that you should check out. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and you hit that notification bell so you're always alerted when we upload new content. And last but not least, if you want to follow me, Lurk, the host of the show, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at LurkCity. And as always, if you need any of the links that pertain to the artists on the show today, Lambgoat or myself, you can always find them in the description. Thanks for listening to this message. Now let's get back to the show. You know, um, I already used to write for Revolver, so I had a long-standing relationship with the editors. I wrote for Spin, so I had a long-standing relationship with the editors. I wrote for, um, you know, Guitar World, so I knew everybody. So it was a very easy transition having been a writer. That's interesting. And uh, what are the first couple bands you started working with at that time? Like, what bands did they throw you right away? When I started, I took the job at Rotor and I say because I wanted to work with uh, Slipknot, Killswitch Engage, and Glassjaw. Um, you know, that's why I took the job. Those are the bands that I loved. Uh, and um, I still work with Killswitch and Engage to this day. Uh, I worked with Slipknot from the highest highs and lowest lows, you know, from, you know, selling out Madison Square Garden to uh, Paul Gray's death, uh, which was the hardest professional day of my life. Um, but, uh, you know, those were when I started, uh, I was working uh, on Fear Factory, um, Soulfly, all the like very iconic Roadrunner bands, Typo Negative. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably sent me a bunch of CDs actually to my parents' house. Now that I'm thinking that, about it, all these <laughs> possible, like all the um, God, what what's uh, Soulfly? Soulfly came through, Fear Factory came through. I think D Man or Digimortal. Were you around? Were you sending stuff yes, out around? Yes, that was the first thing I worked was yeah. Digimortal. Yes. Uh, which came after a, a far better record, a far <laughs> superior record with um, Obsolete. But uh, yeah, that was my, the, the, a lot of the classic like era and late 90s Roadrunner bands were either cycling out or breaking up. You know, it was mm-hmm. like Fear Factory, Sepultura, Typo Negative, and they were kind of being replaced by the new bands like Slipknot, Killswitch, um, Trivium, you know, Machine Head was kind of, uh, up and down and then it was devil driver so it was it was a really interesting you know chimera was kind of taken off a little bit so it was a very interesting time uh, and then a lot of baby bands you know and then cradle of filth or uh, i'm trying to think uh, megadeth so it was a very hatey black label society uh it I was mean, at one best- point road owner had a, like all the heavy hitters at a mainstream yeah that a, like a large indie small mainstream label would have oh yeah we had dragon force you know with, with, at the height of um gu- guitar hero it mm-hmm. was a great amazing era it'll never be duplicated it'll never be replicated we um we all know that we always look back at it all my former co-workers who are all gone on to do different things we're all like that was the greatest work family ever and it was a re- i tell people i worked there in the formative years of my life that I became the adult human being that I am today. 
well, I was working there, and it was the greatest job ever. I loved it, um, and it was the greatest work family and some of the greatest bands, and the bands were like family. Because you're working with somebody every day on that close level, and you're in the ground, and you're in the shit with them. You become real close real quick. Mm-hmm. You know, you fight like cats and dogs sometimes, but... Um, yeah, I had some of the best fights of my life with Des from Devil Driver, and I still love him to this day, like a brother. Uh, but it's it's a uh, you know, and, you know, I still work with Trivium, I still work with Killswitch, I still work with a lot of these artists. Uh, I'm still good friends with a lot of them as well. I still work with Johnny from Spineshank. I still work with I worked with Christian Machado from El Nino on mm-hmm, his solo project. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we work on a lot of Roadrunner stuff still. So um, it was a very fertile time. It'll never be replicated. Is it because you work like like you said you work with a lot of people all over? Is it difficult dealing with people when they have like because certain bands even on the same label, let alone the same PR list, probably don't get along or, or have like like you know you have Il Nino and you had Christian, uh, you know you had the you, the singer who left. So like, is there is there any weirdness working with bands that either have beef or like that split up and become other bands that you still work with as well? No, like it's so funny. The funniest thing, it depends. Like even if the like, artists are beefing themselves and stuff, obviously you have to play like well, middleman. Yeah, when you, like we were all of our bands used to tour together. Like Devil Driver, and Machine Head would tour, and Killswitch, you know, would tour with Slipknot. So no, it was always very like I, that. Always made my life easier when our bands toured together because I could get a lot done and I could piggyback stuff. Uh, you know, our bands are always touring like Ozfest or Mayhem or Warp Tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, in these such, like it's funny one of the funny because when I left Roadrunner and started my own company, um, Killswitch was the you know the first band that I were like that came with me like I kept doing PR to stay working with Killswitch because I love them so much, and uh, Howard eventually you know left the band and I still do press for Howard for his band like the Torch and it's very funny because like some media people would ask me and they'd say hey is, is Killswitch mad that you work with Howard's band and I was like. Well, considering that they have the same manager, you know, Killswitch and Light the Torch have the same managers, Kenny and Vaughn, and considering that I worked with Howard in Killswitch for many years and I still work with Killswitch, no. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just funny that people thought, I'm like, well, first of all, if it was problematic, I wouldn't do it. But second of all, we're all it's all family. Yeah. I do think and people... Howard, you know, is still, is, you know, the signal fire, you know, <laughs> the song on the last Killswitch record with yeah. Howard. Yeah. I think that people just assume that there's bad you know, ill will because Howard leaves and then Jesse, the mm-hmm. older singer, you know, the original singer before Howard or not, but you know, the singer before Howard comes and um, steps back in. Jesse replaced his replacement. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's, it, that usually never really happens, especially after like, I don't know, kill switch, like ran, ran the gauntlet with like all yeah. those releases after, after uh, Jesse left and you know, they became like such a force to reckon with. So, I can see. Like I can see why people would think say, there's some kind of beef. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Because when Howard left, it was very like unexpected, and I nursed the band and Howard through that phase because a lot of stuff was going on behind the scenes that Kenny and Vaughn and I still laugh about uh, that people don't know about. <laughs> but um, it was a, 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 a strange period. Uh, but I look at it this way: like Jet, people ask that age-old question all the time, like, "Well." If Jesse stayed in the band, I think Killswitch is going to be huge no matter who the singer was because they hit at the right time and they have the songs. And Jesse and Howard are, are two very different types. Like, you know, Jesse's, you know, like they their voices are different, their lyrics and their styles are different. And I think they both add to what Killswitch is. And uh, I saw Howard Jones's first show 
um, with Killswitch. I was the only person at Roadrunner at Hellfest uh, when he made his debut and I remember when I came back to the office everybody was like hey how was it and I was like I thought it was amazing look I'm a tried and true Jesse fan but I was also a Blood Has Been Shed fan so I loved Howard through that as well and I was like oh my god it was amazing it was amazing and all my bosses were like ah she's too close to the band she's too big of a fan we can't take what she says um, seriously yet because she's too biased and I was like uh no was I too biased what happened with yeah right exactly okay right uh I think I was right bye <laughs> what uh what year was that 2003 three I th- no or two uh, I think it was 2003 Syracuse still in Syracuse oh. yeah okay it was yeah in Syracuse. yep I went to the uh, 04 one in New Jersey the, the, well, the last one I guess the Elizabeth New Jersey yep. one was that in a was that in um Rexplex Rex like <laughs> that place was wild, man. I can't. Oh, I've never. Yeah. I never. I've never forgotten it. It just was like a hodgepodge like mix. A, mix yeah, stuff of like, it was like a, all the like cool a, things. Yeah. It was like ski ball and stuff like that. Like well, it had ski ball, but then you had like shit. yeah, batting cage. When you say it like that, it sounds like an amusement park. It well, it was Rexplex was kind of that. I don't I don't look at it like that. I looked at it like it's a right gym. By, it's right by IKEA. Yeah, I, lo- <laughs> I looked at it like a gym with like I don't know six basketball courts, a bunch of like hockey and soccer fields inside, but also like a BMX and paintball area and like. Was it that cool? I don't remember. Oh that. man, it's like like um, like an amusement park. Okay, I guess I because I just walked in there to go see shows and I remember the Bad Luck Thirteen like was throwing meat and firecrackers. Oh yeah, was that like, that was a crazy why one. Why is it happening? I don't know. That was uh, that was on one of the basketball courts. I left before that <laughs> stuff popped off, but I was there. Yeah, that was that was insane. That was the talk of the weekend. Um, I'm trying to remember who was. Uh, I think Stretch Armstrong had a great set. I remember. Um, at the time, I was into so many other different smaller bands. So, like, the sets for me at that time were, like, remembering. I was big into Remembering Never at that time. Remembering so Never, yeah. That was a good one. Evergreen Terrace played, and they were the hometown kids. Right, so, like, of right, course, of we course, went crazy for them. Course. It was a very Trustkill, um, Ferret. And what was Evergreen Terrace? What was that label? They were on um, Eulogy at the time, I think. Eulogy. That's yeah. right. That's right. Dave from Eulogy. I think yeah, Indianola, was. Eulogy era. So, yeah, that, that was a good little time, man. And... and you know, you may be right. It could have been more of an amusement park situation, but it didn't feel like that to me. I don't know. Right I just walked in there to go see shows. I saw a lot of shows there, and I liked it because it was very convenient because it was like 15 minutes from my house. Hey, I saw one of the – I saw a Roadrunner band I never thought that I would ever see there at, at Hellfest, uh, Dry Kill Logic. Oh, my goodness. That band, nice guy. Flip is a very nice guy. I didn't like their music. That band, I don't know why, for whatever reason, but back in my new metal days – that was like a band I highly they gravitated to. Yeah, yeah, the Hinge. Like Martyr eighty, yeah. which is of course the superior eighty band there. <laughs> but Dry Kill, for some reason, when I was a young young fellow going through the you know harsh New times metal of phase. Be- and harsh times of being in school and dealing with parents, all, all that, Dry Kill all, logic. yeah, all that stuff was popping then. And I never thought that I outgrew my new metal phase. And then I got into like metalcore, hardcore area, right. and then I remember. I, <laughs> then I remember them being on the flyer, and I had to go into the little gym room, like small room in the Rexplex, to see them. And I was like, "This is cool." <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of over this phase, but it's cool. I get to like check that box, you know. I mean? always go see bands too that like it might be like, uh, you know. I might not be into them anymore, but I'll still go see bands like that just to see them, just to say I did. You know, I saw Nelson like that once. I was like, oh, I'll go see them. Uh, I'll go see any show, really, because that's my favorite thing to do is go to shows. 
Uh, so I have no issue with going to see things that I don't like anymore or uncool stuff. Because you never know, you like, oh, I saw this band at this small place. It's just funny that you're bringing up Dry Kill Logic. Great dudes. Cliff is just awesome, but I didn't love the music. No, not a big fan. What are they up to? Are they doing anything? Are they about to do anything? I don't think so. I wonder yeah. if Cl- I think Cliff is, he worked at Universal Records for a while. I don't know what he's up to these days. He's a super nice guy. I'll have to figure it out one day. Um, but yeah. I forgot him. God, I had I had something to ask or something to bring up right before that. Anyway, we're going to cut from that because we were getting sidetracked. Anyway, let's get okay. into uh, what PR and being a publicist actually sure. is, and then we'll move into you opening up your own company because, like you just sure, hinted you at, you ask, you okay. did the Roadrunner thing and then left. So break it down for the listeners who kind of are clueless as to, and I'm sort of somewhat sure. clueless as to. I mean, I get the press releases from you all, and I deal with you all when I want to talk to the bands or do anything in inter, inter, any interaction type thing so um yeah what what overall duties do you handle for the for your you know artists what what is pr i tell people this like because they don't know if they think like people think public relations they think you're dealing with the public that's not accurate but you're dealing with their public perception and how the public relates to them and how the public perceives them sees them uh, it, um, absorbs them and understands them and I always say public relations is the tree and everything else is the public relations has a lot of branches it's actual publicity which is doing interviews it's um, not doing interviews the interviews that you turn down is also a branch reviews is a branch show reviews is a branch Um, any kind of lifestyle press charity um, making uh, how you are shifting perception and how you shape the artists and how the world perceives them and how the media perceives them it can be denying access as much as it is granting it uh some artists that i work with do very limited press and that makes press want them more and it makes the mystique even a little bit um you know deeper and and makes them more interesting so but some artists have done a ton of press and they are only doing a certain level of press some artists want to do everything it's definitely a case-by-case basis but when you're doing press it's not just interviews and and sending people music it's denying interviews it's coming up with ideas to pitch it's coming up with a way to put things in front of people it's you know hiring a stylist for a photo shoot it's picking the right photographer uh, it's so much more than what people would think it is uh, that goes on behind the scenes uh, it's even the language that you're using in a press release writing a press release or a bio to get out for the artist so it's setting bands up with interviews and 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 but also, you know, when you invite people to see a band live, you just want them to see the band and, and experience it. You don't always get a clip out of that, but you might have a media person go and see a band live and go, wow, that changed my total perception of them. I'm going to cover them somehow. So it's just about those relationships and making sure that the media is aware of these artists and using your relationships to, um, you know, and, and the fact that you work closely with media to get them to, you know, pay attention to something new, you know, and, and to help expose or, or get behind uh, an up and coming artist and that works for them and we're, you know, and establishing that relationship that's mutually beneficial for the artist and the media outlet. Do you think, and this goes, I, I guess it would, this would be different uh, depending on if it's an older alumni type artist or a newer up and coming artist, but you mentioned, uh, you know, granting access, not, and, and not granting access and how that sometimes plays into the mystique of the artist. What, what works best do you think currently? Cause I would think that in the current day and age where I, when I find a band, 
mostly like they're like hardcore bands that are getting like a little bit of buzz but have like zero social media you know stuff right. and so like I to me it's harder to find out about that band because I'm so used to finding out stuff on through social media at this particular point yeah. but again like you said it does add a, a bit of mystique to it what do you find works best or does it just is it case, like you said case by case scenario but overall do you always feel it depends on what the band is looking for or what what kind of le- you know some bands like i only want this level press or some bands are like hey i'll do everything or uh, and some bands where they're up and coming well they have to do everything because they don't have any currency but then you have a band who's huge and they can pick and choose what they want to do and that's just simply because some of them have been doing it for so long or they want to try to get into a different audience or they want to reach a, a whole different sect of people. So it really is a case-by-case basis. Interesting. Yeah, I would su- I would assume that you know younger or newer bands in general want to do everything, but I also know a bunch of bands that don't want to do any of that. Like I just talked to, yeah. uh, are you familiar with uh, Hammerhead, the, the three brothers that are like younger 16 to 21 year olds? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they don't want to do any of the social media stuff they also don't have any social media so it's kind of like in my head i'm like well how do you get any of that stuff out there and i guess it would be through their publicist or your yeah, media team social media isn't filtered and it, or or it is or it's too filtered but it's like i i it doesn't have that third party validation that's why media outlets they're tastemakers and they have history of of being the first getting behind a band well, that's how they get their kind of cred. Um, and anybody, you know, a band could go on Instagram and say, hey, I'm the fucking best. Okay, everybody's going to say that. But when you have Lamb Goat or you have Stereo Gum or you have Pitchfork saying, this is the fucking best, those are the tastemakers who've earned that right. And what when they back a band, people listen. So it's like, that's why you, like the media is so important with um exposing bands because they are that third party validation Um, you can love yourself all you want and you can post the fuck out of Facebook and Instagram and the algorithms are going to change on the regular uh, but it's that third party validation that is where people I think get they get the access to the bands it's also like it most people are probably not following every single member of their favorite band on Instagram because they don't have time. I mean, yeah, everybody's doom scrolling all the time, but I just don't, or death scrolling, whatever it's called, either or. <laughs> I don't think that you you miss a lot that way, but if you go on Loudwire or Lambgoat or, or, or Blabbermouth, you get everything at once, you know, so you don't have yeah. to scroll through endless pages. Yeah. That's why the value of media as the third party is always, no matter how many social media followers you have or how much shit you're posting on Instagram or TikTok or Twitter, you know, TikTok, that's my least favorite. I'm just like, I'm, I'm not even trying to figure out <laughs> all those videos. I'm like, everybody looks like they're like a master video editor. Yeah, Who has true. that kind of time? It, is it easy? I don't know. I don't really like TikTok. I think it's like here today, gone tomorrow. But anytime I see somebody posting a video from it, I'm like, wow, it looks like they spent eight hours yeah. creating that video. I feel the same I way, and I, I kind of, I kind of think because you know we're we're expanding a little bit in the content realm here, uh, and you know, unfortunately, I don't have the TikTok because I don't want to deal with it. But one Either. of us, one of us in the team does have a, the TikTok, and you know, they do make. Uh, videos and stuff like that it's nowhere near like what we're talking about where people are doing some insane transitioning type videos and stuff like yeah, that or like they're quoting lyrics and then they turn around and they're like i'm gonna cut my hair and then three seconds yeah. later they show my hair like, where how did that happen yeah no we're not like, doing anything I mean, like that it looks like a day's worth of work 
I'm sh- I'm assuming, and I'm sure that there are uh, apps out there that make that stuff pay and free that are like yeah, so easy. But again, yeah, I don't have time for that either. I barely have time to like. I don't even check the lamb goat Instagram. I just I'm like on the lamb goat Facebook. Just it's enough to like. I understand now what Alex has gone through for the last 23 years, just like constantly updating the news or just trying to main, maintain on top of it. Because not everything, not everything comes through. Not everything comes through in a PR uh, email. You know, it may come yeah, through on Twitter or Instagram or you know, and then of course someone may tell us a rumor or send us something, and we gotta go, you know, research it and find out. See it. Yeah. Well, at least you're investigating it because. I can't tell you how many times people post things without verifying it, and that's like, how do you call yourself legitimate media if you post something and you didn't come to me and ask me for a comment or verification on things? And I might say no comment, but you can, you know, it's like journalistically unethical to so for some mm. people that post that stuff without asking for a comment or a confirmation. Yeah, I've had to. A have... lot of people aren't journalistically ethical these days. Oh, I have a Wi-Fi connection. I made a website. Yeah. No, that's it. Uh, I definitely have had conversations with Alex about stuff like that just because like in the grand scheme of things you know I didn't want to I didn't want to grow up to be a journalist at all like e- ever I just like this in just th- this music right I, I, I got attracted to the music and then I learned how to make websites and then I kind of just fell into I'll combine the two and then you know 20 years later I I started doing that again but with Alex and and it was kind of like once I took over, I realized like, oh, shit, I have to be like a journalist now. And I don't even really want to be a journalist or anything like that. Right. But it's like I mean, it's not like an easy thing. True. Very true. And it is time consuming. Like you said, like it, a lot of people send us shit all day long because, you know, oh, I'm sure it's tweets and it's a photo of this. And Lambgoat's like, got the drama, the drama fucking tag to it. You know, we're a big. Like a drama channel. Yeah, we were we were TMZ for the scene back in the day, and you know, probably still would be if like the other outlets didn't come along and we we didn't mobilize our website <laughs> until recently. But uh, you know, they they took on and took off and everything like that. But uh, yeah, I didn't really ever want to be that. I just wanted to kind of report on the like the updates. But I guess that's the good thing about Lamgoat too is there's no real like uh, commentary coming from Lamgoat like. For the most part, Lambda doesn't have like a, it has a voice, but it doesn't have a voice where it's telling you like, we think this article, you should side with this person or we yeah, yeah, think, you it know. puts it out there. True. I think it's in the comment section. Oh yeah. Well, that's I love the impersonators. They used to be the guy who used to impersonate Franz from his hello, Franz here. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, there, there's a bunch of ongoing, <laughs> you, you should probably know that though. There's a bunch of uh, ongoing. I, I, sometimes when I want to go down the rabbit hole of reading Lambgo comments, I'm like, wow. Wow, people post this stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do they care about people knowing their IP address with some of the fucking heinous stuff that they say? I mean, it, it's like, whoa, I can't believe somebody said that. And I laugh sometimes, and sometimes I'm like, wow. Yeah. We, uh, you know, Alex took him away for a little bit. He uh, he got rid of the comments for a little bit. There was a little uh, public outcry. People were pissed. A little backlash. Yeah, so he brought him back. Uh, and then a lot of the thing, a lot of people thought we were going to take them away. But, you know, like I've come to Lambgoat since I was like 16, 15 years old. So I also came from a different time in the Internet, too, where people were just posting anonymously all over. So of course. It, it wasn't. Metal Sucks had that same issue. Yeah. And I mean, everyone does. And uh, I feel like 
now that we have multiple people, you know, working the site, because before it was mainly just Alex for the most part, it's a lot to handle. Uh, I feel like yeah. we are on top of it a little bit more, but yeah. also it's almost damn near impossible to be on top of it all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's active chatter going on. It's like in real time, too, so there's yeah. only so much you can do. All right, so you kind of, we'll, we'll get to Adam Splitter PR, your company. Sure. You kind of, uh, you leave, your time's up at Roadrunner. So how do you start your own Adam Splitter PR uh, firm or company? I didn't have a choice, to be honest. Like, I wasn't, I left Roadrunner. I saw things were changing there. Um, I probably stayed there maybe a year longer than I wanted to, um, but, but it was a good decision to do that. And I left Roadrunner on a Friday, and I started at Adam Splitter on a Monday. I didn't take a day off. Haven't had a day off since either. Haven't had a vacation since 2006. <laughs> but uh, when I went to Maine. Uh, but... Um, I was leaving Roadrunner and I was like, I'm not sure. Do I want to go back and do writing? I had a pretty busy freelance writing gig and I was like, should I do that? Should I turn that into a full time thing? And I was like, no, nah, I don't know if I want to do that either. And I went to a Killswitch show and I told him, I said, hey guys, you know, I'm leaving Roadrunner. And Mike D from Killswitch, the bassist, said, well, don't leave us. I said, okay, I won't. And when I left Roadrunner, it was like Machine Head and Gojira and all these other bands were like, hey, we want to hire you to do our press, even though you're not at Roadrunner anymore. And then a lot of the managers who had other bands on other labels were like, okay, well, we want to hire you to press for our non-Roadrunner bands. So it spiraled really quickly. And I learned, I remember I used to read about the girl who started this cosmetics brand, Hard Candy, that I used to love. And she spoke a lot about how she had trouble, struggled with growth and scaling. And she was like, I could no longer be mixing nail polishes in the sink in my bathroom. And that was how I felt. I'm like, I can no longer manage this beast out of my guest room in my condo. Um, you know, I, I had to hire people immediately. And um, I needed help right away because I kept getting stuff thrown at me like for projects and we grew really quickly and I still struggle with growth because we are constantly growing and and getting our clients just keep get we just keep getting awesome more awesome clients to add to our already awesome client base um, and it just was um, I'm just like I just don't I don't ever stop you know I get up at five o'clock 521 every day uh, and I'm at my desk by 6 6 15 what time do you go to uh, bed uh too late I yeah. usually go to bed around 11 30 believe me I want to be going to bed at nine we all do we all do Amy but it's almost impossible <laughs> yeah I just don't get enough sleep and I'm grumpy because of it I think but um no I don't sleep a lot but um I don't want to do anything else like I say this all the time like like my brother always tells me he works at a casino his whole career and you know he made a respectable living at it but he's like man i deal with you know the scum of the earth and and i probably look at my watch like a thousand times in an hour and yeah. i'm like i'm very blessed i never have that feeling ever i'm never i love yeah there are days where it's annoying when you get an email about a photo pass that's missing at eight o'clock at night on a sunday and you're just trying to watch some football uh, that happens all the time. It's a it's it's more of a lifestyle than it is a job. But I know so many of my friends hate their fucking job. They spend nine to five unhappy. Mm -hmm. I don't feel that way ever. You know, I get to work with some of the most brilliant and creative and talented people out there. Um, they become close to me like family. Um, I love telling their stories. Uh, I know that the music that I loved when I was 16 and 15 it found its way to me through the work that somebody was doing behind the scenes and i feel like i'm doing that same thing and 
you know, people think this is like a job that doesn't save lives. It's not, it's a luxury job, but it's really not because you're, you're just helping artists get their art out there. And that's important. And I know that the music I listen to saved my life. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it is saving lives because people, you know, the world's fucking hard. It's a brutal place. And art is what helps you get through it, whether it's music, movies, books, whatever. And right. I believe that art is what helps you get through it and music and lyrics. And it just makes you feel like I'm not doing this by myself. Somebody out there who wrote this lyric or wrote this riff was going through something shitty and I'm going through the same thing and they know how I feel. And that's the connection. And I love to be able to be part of helping that happen. And like I said, I, it's yeah, there's a lot of things about it you know, that, that are really stressful, but I don't want to do anything else. Yeah, it's weird, like, <clears throat> again, I just fell in, you know, I was a nerdy freaking kid learning HTML by, like, stealing source code tags off of, like, people's uh -huh. websites and stuff. So, like, you know, I, and then at the earliest time that I was allowed to go to shows, because I was making websites before I was even, like, allowed by my parents to go to, like, any kind of shows, let wow. alone concerts. So, you know, by the time I was, like, 17, I, I went to my first, probably, like, concert without, like, my parents or whatnot to, like, a, something that I wanted to go to. And, like, yeah, tell... Like, really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I think after the pandemic, like, right after the pandemic, well, our right after the pandemic was a little different than yours because I'm in Florida. So we had, like, shows and stuff going on a lot sooner than, like, everywhere else. But, you know, I went and saw, in like... Florida, what a shock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were Florida men all day down here. But... You know, um, I think it was Madball. Madball played in like March or May or something like that, like twenty twenty one. And I remember I hadn't I hadn't been to a show at that point in like almost two years. And uh, it, was it was the worst not having shows. It was, and it was something I didn't really realize. But JP, the guy who also is a business partner with me here at Lamb Goat, but helped me do the podcast since we started it. Uh, you know, we just realized, like, oh, my God, we spend a lot of time going to shows. Like, a lot more mm -hmm. than, like, anybody else that we kind of know. Like, it's yeah. once, a, once a week. And that's a lot for here. You know, I live in a smaller yeah. market, not like, you know, you have the – you can go – you are going every night almost, I see on uh, Facebook. Almost. <laughs> I would, though. I love it. I, I mean, I used to go, like, three shows a night. I'm, I'm not 21 anymore, but yeah. uh, my body can't take that. But – I try to go as often as I can, especially after shows were taken away from us. Yeah, you and, that, know, and that's COVID. what I was saying. Like, you know, I wa we walked into the show and, like, it kind of dawned on me. I was like, man, when I was a kid, I walked into some shitty bar somewhere, like a shitty bar to see, like, some band that I thought was, like, the biggest thing ever. And I've never, like, I've never left that place. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I've, I, I always return to that. And I find they want to go places like other cities, other whatever. I'll go seek out their shitty little grunge bar or something like that. And, you know that's the place that I want to go hang out at or something. So, yeah. it's really bad. I'll never stop loving shows. That's my favorite thing to do. Yeah, that's my favorite pastime, and it gets to be my job too. So I'm very blessed, and I don't ever take that for granted. Same. I hate my day job, but you know it is what it is. You got to do one thing to to let the other thing happen. But you know maybe one day we grow lamb good enough. Uh, even though it is relatively well known, we got to. You know, grow it enough to where we can do it full time altogether. But you'll get there. You'll get there. Oh, you just gotta day. like keep the drive and keep like the eye on the prize, and um, it, it'll happen. You know, if you don't, I always say, if you just hustle, that's yeah. Kind of, that's I think that's what we've got going for us. I mean, granted, the name is very well known in the industry. It is very well known. A lot of people maybe think that like the website went away because I know a lot of people like used to visit and then now they don't, or they mm -hmm. you know because again it was hard to visit. 
it wasn't a mobile website. And I know people don't really think about that, but this website was like a desktop-based website in 2021. Wow, 2020. yeah. 2020, okay. yeah. yeah. Not optimized. Yeah, so it was difficult to use. Get so, with the program. Get with the internet. What is this, Y2K? <laughs> I don't know. You'll have to ask Alex about that. I did pressure him for years about the website, mm-hmm. and eventually we did get it's it up. It's being old school. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so... Not gonna sell out. <laughs> no, he definitely didn't, and you know I'm sure he had the option to do so at some point because everyone, sure. everyone's getting bought out as, uh, as we've known in the last year or so. The oh, lot of please, lo- I'm waiting for the big multi-million dollar out of sort of PR buyout. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I don't know. We thought we talked internally. It'd be cool to, it'd be cool to sell it, you know, at some point. But then also it'd yeah. be really cool to have it for 20 years too, like Alex had, you know. Right, yeah, you never know. And see what happens. Just keep doing what you're doing, quality behind it, and being easy to work with. And people, that that, that will spread. People will will hear that. I try. I try to be easy, but. No, you are easy to work with. I've gone long enough. I have to ask. Let's get into Glassjaw because, you know, as as you know, I also am a giant glass jaw fan. How can anybody not? And look, anybody wants to at me about this, I don't care. There's no possible way that worship and tribute touches everything you ever wanted to know about silence. I'm sorry, it doesn't. And people try to fight with me about this. And I'm like, what what are you saying, though? What are you saying? I'm saying that everything you ever wanted to know about silence is a far superior record. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Are you going to say that it's not? (gasps) Blaspheme. I'm going to say this. It took my love, it took loving the Deftones as much as I do to really understand Glassjaw. Uh, and the way that they <laughs> make sense, the they tour they, together, and, and the way that they make music, and, and the way that their discography has gone. Granted, Deftones have le- released a lot more material than uh, Glassjaw has, but I do look at it like Worship and Tribute was Worship and Tribute, and I think that's their best album. Now, I don't even want to say that. I don't want to say that. I, think, I have a lot of friends who say the same thing. I think Our like, Color Green is their best product, right? But that's only five songs, so I don't necessarily know if I want to say that's an album, but. That's my favorite offering they've given out as one piece. Mm, interesting. I'm still going to always say everything you ever wanted to know about. That's that. a good so one. I'm not saying it's bad. But people look at that record, which is a breakup record, really. And Daryl is a very angry young man when he made that record. And a lot of people say, oh, you know, it hasn't aged well because maybe they look at the lyrics as misogynist. I don't. I think anybody who's ever gotten dumped or had their heart broken oh, yeah. has thought that way, whether it's about a guy or a girl. So I feel no offense over the things that he said. He was expressing anger and heartbreak and I fucking related to it and I still relate to it every time that happens to me. Um, so uh, I, I don't have issue with that at all. I also wrote the lyrics, not the lyrics, sorry, the liner notes to the uh, reissue of that record. Oh, nice. Uh, Yes, and I did it because I worked at Roadrunner at the time. And I was like, I nobody can write these but me because I was probably one of the few people writing about the band at that period. And um, I loved them at Daryl and Beck, and they were all great dudes. Um, and it was a very powerful and important record to me. And it still holds up for me. I went and saw them last March. Yep. Uh, and they played most songs from everything. You, and I'm not saying that Worship and Tribute isn't good. Uh, Ape Those Mill, Tip Your Bartender. Oh, they're two different albums. I mean, every they're album's two, different. Totally, they sound like two totally different bands. But I think that everything you ever want to know about silence, to me, it's like untouchable. I like was, I, it's, just, it's just, you know, um, uh, I think it, it's an angry record. There's beautiful parts to it. Like her middle name was Boom. Oh, yeah. The White Locust is such a great fuck you song. You know what I mean? Hey, well, come here, baby. I definitely, here. Um, 
I went to the 20th anniversary or, you know, whatever the fucking show you were talking about where they played both sets. Uh-huh, so, yeah, that was last year. So we went and saw at, at, uh, the Atlanta date, and they played both that night, same night. Um, I can't tell you, it probably had been years since I really, really listened to uh, everything. And mm-hmm. I had listened to it prior, you know, getting ready for the show and stuff like that. I knew Worship and Tribute like the back of my hand because Ape Dose Mill is like, probably my favorite song of all time right so that's like i've listened to that song repeatedly over and over again and like you said everything is a breakup record and that might be why i didn't listen to it as much later on even though i definitely listened to it as like a young man because all the feelings i felt the same thing as well so uh but oh my god there were moments during that you know live set where it's just they're when they're playing every everything and i'm like oh my god dude this is fucking great and mo- yeah. you know motel comes on and it just it sucked because it brought back all those emotions <laughs> from being a young heartbroken man and just like because yeah. that's when i was listening to all that and it it did make me get emotional and teary-eyed at certain parts of of at least that album uh worship retreat yeah. doesn't really do that but no, because it doesn't have. I don't think Worship Tribute has the same kind of. It doesn't. It's a more mature record, I think. Uh, and I think it's a little more artistically um, adventurous record. Whereas everything around about Silence is just an angry, heavy record. I mean, Rai Rai song to me, that's like a pop song. That's yeah, such yeah. a catchy song with great fucking lyrics and uh, pretty lush. When one eight becomes two zeros, uh, you know, Siberian kiss. Um, I mean. Some desert island listening listening right listening right there yeah um such a good record i mean and i think daryl and and his his out his viewpoints on that i still relate to them i don't have any issue with it and yeah. i love that record and people at me all the time no 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 oh my god we're, i'm like no what are you talking about <laughs> like i i lived that record you know when it came out in this cycle uh, and I only got to work them on one tour before they left Roadrunner, but they were one of the reasons I took the job because I love that record so much. Yeah, they weren't with them. Uh, they must have not been with them that long after you. No, yeah. they left in like 2003, I think. Yeah, that wasn't a good situation, huh? No, they were not. I, they were not happy with Roadrunner, and it was understandable. Um, they were. Was it because it, was it because they were focusing on like bands like Nickelback? I know that Slipknot yeah, kind of had issue yeah. with that. A little bit. I mean, like Nickelback was like keeping the lights on there, and it was allowing them to sa- us to sign bands. Like, well, I know, know, like this was like this was around the same time where like you yeah. know how you remind me had come out, and they were all over. Yeah. And you know, this is way before they were like as big as they are now. So, yeah, I just it was I, very. I remember uh, hearing it, rumblings about that back in the day. That's all. You know, it's like a lot of people thought, oh, Nickelback, this, that, and that. It's like, no, Nickelback, you know, helped keep the lights on in that place. You know, and that you have to have successes so you can continue to invest in other projects yeah. that are coming. That's how it works. Yeah. But um the industry is weird, especially to people that aren't a part of it. They don't like, you know, they don't understand what it is to make money, what it is for these and artists nowadays, to continue. Nowadays it's like everybody thinks Nickelback is cool and Creed is cool and it's like um you know, if people buy 25 million copies, oh, there's 25 million copies of these records purchased you're doing something right, okay? Because I wouldn't mind selling 25 million of something because that means I probably made a lot of money and people yep. liked what I made. Yep. So it might not be cool, it might be butt rock or whatever, but something somewhere and for some reason it connected with people. Hey, I still- I had no issue with Nickelback, man. They were always nice to me and uh, I think that they know how to write a hit. I will admit to liking Nickelback's first record before, that was back in my new metal days, uh, because again, I just followed everything that Rodner put out at that sure. time. Um, 
yeah and then it just around that same time i started getting into more hardcore metalcore metal stuff and then it just became like stripper music but you know rap uh people in rap make a bunch of stripper music and that's how they sell a bunch of songs because people are at strip clubs and stuff too you know especially like certain demographics that you're probably trying to get to (laughs) but yeah not everything is always quite so serious or you know diy or cool you know, sometimes it's it's like fine to just like something that feels good. Yeah, exactly. What's the uh, what's the end goal for Amy and uh, Adam PR or Adam Splitter PR? What about it? What do you mean? Like, like, what's the end goal? And like, what when you know you've succeeded, or you know, maybe when do you feel like you? I don't know if you want to hang it up because, like you said, you and I both oh, love God. going to yeah, shows I'll and stuff. Hang. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't mind taking a nice a vacation. <laughs> Somebody would like to you know infuse some cash, sure, and help us grow even more. Hey, I'm all about that. Come here, Wilbur. Come here. My dog is like limping a little bit because he was going crazy when the cleaning ladies were here today, and he hurt his leg. Yeah. Um, and he mine will do that every now and then. I got a long-legged boxer, and she'll tweak oh, it boxer. running around the dog park with another dog. Yeah. She's also 12, so she probably shouldn't be doing that as much. But oh goodness, 12 years old. No, he's um he's a bulldog, so he's got a lot of chunk on his legs, and he's like limping a little bit. Will you all right, babe? Um, uh, no, I. I don't. I don't think I'd ever hang it up. What else would I do with my ta- myself? I don't know. I'd go crazy from boredom. Save, save every uh, dog in your neighborhood. If, from what yeah, it looks like. Yeah, I would do like. that too. I would definitely <laughs> love to like do PR three days a week and then spend two days a week saving dogs and cats. Because uh, I work, um, you know, I volunteer walking dogs at a shelter. And if there's a cat, a homeless cat, I'm gonna try to save it. So or feed it or just show it some. You, you would love my neighborhood. Stuff. My neighborhood has a bunch of stray cats. Oh my god! I hope people are feeding them. I hope it's a good colony and somebody's. No, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people feeding them, and I think that's why a lot of the mice are gone around this area because we're like down. Yeah, that's good. I don't want mice near. I mean, I feel sorry for. I don't want anybody to kill them, but I also don't want them in my house. Right. Yeah. We don't um, because we. I live in like a hundred. I don't want to see snakes eat them. (laughs) Yeah. No. I live in a neighborhood with like 115 year old houses, but we're right downtown. You were telling me about that. I remember that. So uh, probably when my house got broken into, but either way. Um, yeah, so we have a bunch of like old, old cats and just running around, just laying They're in the yards. Good rodent population control. That's why I don't mind it. But there is a house that on the other side of Main Street, if you walk around the neighborhood a little bit, it's got so mm-hmm. many stray cats. It just smells like cat pee or cat litter because they all That's go great. outside. So it's not the best, but all right, <laughs> Amy. Well, I appreciate your time. I don't mean to cut it too short but i oh, do uh it was a good chat it was a good chat i really enjoyed it i did as well it's good to meet you finally too obviously in person technically i know we've talked i'll be in orlando phone. probably i don't know probably after this it'll probably be before, before no after this stuff. actually for us Heart Heart i need to fucking talk to you about that because we slacked on that yeah just email me about I will, it. yeah fine. but uh yeah so maybe i'll meet you there in person but it's good to finally meet you i know we've been talking yes. for like four years or so with via I emails know, right yeah this one guy started sending out emails for lamb goat like no one has in the last fucking 10 years i guess but oh it's great you were great to work with we really like working with you good well yeah i um we'll get tim's in flames uh podcast is going out in uh, yeah. two weeks right before the release so that was really cool awesome awesome keep it up keep yeah. doing it but yeah keep we'll, keep, our bands. we'll keep doing that you keep sending the stuff we'll keep posting it as we'll long as you don't get bummed out that we don't post everything because obviously we have a audience that i know i get it okay. i know things don't okay. fit something doesn't fit i understand that i'm just i just some curious we just send everything out and people yeah. can post what they want yep yeah, i got it amy thank you very much 
I'll Thanks talk to you me. very soon. Um, I'll yeah. email you probably later tonight about heart support. Do it up. And uh, yeah, keep sending stuff, and we'll obviously keep working together for many, many, many years to come. Uh, I'm very happy about that. Go Glassjaw. All right. Yay. Everything you ever wanted to know about silence. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to say is your best. I'll let you say it. You, you know, you've That's worked with best. them. You've been around. Go listen so. to the whole thing, start to finish, and then come at me. We'll end, <laughs> we'll end it on that. All right. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Amy. Have a good one. All right. I'll talk to you later. Hey, everyone. This is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off Road Minivan. Every week, I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.